Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. When you think of the world and the culture we are in right now and the state of confusion it is for this next generation and for our children and for parents, especially for me as a mom of two, it can be so daunting to think of some of the conversations I'm going to have to have with them in the next few years, especially when it comes to the subject of sex and sexuality. Once upon a time, that conversation used to be simple, if you could say it was simple, and it was still like horrifying to have with your parents, but at least it was simple. And now we look at it and we fast forward and jump forward today. Those conversations are getting more and more complicated. Um, just my eight-year-old daughter um, asked me questions the other day about why some girls have two daddies or they have two moms and she wasn't understanding. And I had to think right there in that moment. And thankfully that's when the Holy Spirit jumps in. They give you that moment of how to have that conversation at that time with your child. But I was raised by a mom who had the talk with me very often in my teenage years, often said her car was her mission field. And my mom um, would talk to me about all things, even those things regarding sex. And my mom's raw honesty about life and her experiences, her willingness to teach me along the way, um, all of those challenges she gave me and those conversations we had were such a gift to me. I can still think about how she's probably the most influential person in my life when it came to the subject of sex. Um, and so those are tough conversations. None of us, the parents don't want to have them. The children definitely don't want us to have them with them. But they're conversations we have to have. But how do we as parents have these conversations with our children where we're teaching God's design for sex and about puberty and sexuality um, how do we have them with them in a way that's honoring God, but that we can fight these cultural lies that we're seeing in our society, whether it's through entertainment and TV and um, now even in our education systems? They literally can scare the mess out of me thinking, how am I going to get this right with my kids? But thankfully, we don't do it all in our power. We depend on the Lord to teach us. But um, I look back through history and just kind of like how I grew up and in the church I felt like there were times the church got it wrong. I think they had good intentions. Parents probably depended on the church or the youth pastor to, to have that conversation. And so maybe they failed to have that conversation. There were some that did the purity culture inside of churches. For some that worked, for many that did not work. And then I look at some parents who feel like it's impossible to teach um, abstinence. So they're throwing the towel early, but it's not impossible. And these conversations to be had, especially in the culture that we're facing with the terminology um, that is changing every day. It's like every day I read something, I got to Google it to figure out what's this new term mean when it comes to sexuality and gender and gender identity. Um, many of you know, I live in Florida. So of course, we've seen recently uh, Florida signed the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which bans uh, teachers from teaching about gender identity and sexual orientation in kindergarten through third grade. And really, it shouldn't have stopped just at third grade. It should have continued on, you know, through eighth grade or even through all grades. 
That is a job of us parents. And as parents, we can't fail this. We have to educate ourselves to be able to have these conversations with our children. Because if we don't, there's a culture that is going after our children. They think it's their responsibility. These teachers right now, what we've seen, they think it's their responsibility to teach our children because us parents aren't going to get it right. Um, And that's a, a spiritual war that we're fighting in this culture. So it can be overwhelming. It can be confusing trying to wade through um, all of these issues surrounding sexuality and gender in our country today. And I can't even fathom what our children and their minds and the things that they're going to face that we couldn't even think about or we couldn't even imagine when I was little 30 years ago. But I want to be able to shine light um, on Jesus in a world with love and with compassion, with His truth and with His grace, even when we tackle this and to look at God's Word um, and His Scripture to see His design. And there's a book that I've read recently, and it's called Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality. And if you've followed me um, on social media before, you've probably seen me mention the first book um, that this author wrote, and it was called Mama Bear Apologetics. Um, I think it's uh, empowering our children to um, challenge cultural lies. Both of these books are phenomenal. So I'm so excited for today's guest, Hillary Ferrer. And we as moms, these are tough subjects that we're fighting for our children. In this postmodern world, we're fighting for truth. And it can be so exhausting at the end of the day, uh, just doing our daily task as parents. So how are we going to tackle? Now i got to tackle the conversation of sexuality. How am I going to do it? And how am I going to do it right? And Hillary does a wonderful job in her books, and especially this book that we're going to talk about, A Guide to Sexuality. And she does it a way that's accessible. She does it a way that's not daunting, that's encouraging, teaching God's design for all of this. She teaches the secular uh, point of views as well, and how we as parents can do this, and we can do it with hope. And she has such humor in her book that it also won't be boring. I know sometimes apologetic books maybe sound boring at the end of the day. It won't be boring. So I'm excited to have this conversation with my guest, Hillary. Hillary, welcome to Fearless. Thank you so much for having me. I came across your book. I was trying to think the first time I came across your first book um, was maybe a couple years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I was just like scrolling through, I think maybe Amazon or somewhere. And I said, wow, she's talking about the things I want parents to talk about and what we encourage parents to learn about here on Fearless. And so I grabbed your book and I finally got to read it. I hurt my back, go figure, last year. And I was put on a bed rest and I found this is the perfect time. And I have pointed so many people to it. And that was your first book, which was called Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. But today we're going to talk about um, your newest book, which is a guide to sexuality for the parents, which is so timely when we think about all the confusion in the world, what children are facing today and parents, and how we can get it right when it might seem impossible. But when we talk about apologetics, you have tackled this issue in an incredible way. And I have challenged people here in Fearless, like this is for all of us. Mm-hmm. And your book is wonderful, both of your books. Um, that for parents, this is not daunting. And you do it in such a humorous way. I love it. <laughs> it's not a stuffy read. <laughs> yes, it, you won't be bored. Let's put it that way. I love it. It keeps, uh, especially with these subjects, who wants to read a lot of these subjects about the end of the day? Yeah. Um, they're tough when you've gotten your children and put them in bed and 
you're exhausted. These subjects can be so tough, but you make it enjoyable and it's not boring. Oh, <laughs> but let's talk about so <laughs> what led you to start a blog and a podcast and write books on apologetics for moms. I think moms are just this demographic that will do whatever it takes. If they see something that is messing with their children's faith, they will do whatever it takes in order to get those questions answered. And so in that in that sense, um, they have a unique motivation as well to, to really study. So that, I would say the entire ministry has been built around the fact that I love moms. So that is what I pour my, uh, my life into is uh, the, the research so that I can give something to moms to make their lives easier. Well, this mom is very thankful. And I should have clarified the first book of empowering your um, kids to challenge cultural lies. I say you go after all the isms, Marxism, mm-hmm. um, feminism, naturalism, even like language theft to progressive Christianity. And yep. so I highly recommend that book. But as we talk today, uh, your newest book, Mama Bear Apologetics, which is a guide to sexuality, you tackle the topic that a lot of parents want to not think about, um, or we um, kind of maybe put that off. But in this world that we are in right now, with all the confusion that we are facing in this generation of children when it comes to sexuality and gender, I can't even keep up. Um, yeah. I did a podcast one time on a uh, something I had read in People magazine, and I had to, like I'm always having to Google what does this mean, what does this mean, all these terms that there's something yeah. new every day. There, so there for really parents is. that. Um, are just so busy. I'm thankful that you wrote this. So what made you jump in to this subject, uh, writing about sexuality? I would say this is more of a Jonah situation than a David situation. (laughs) Uh, I would say I was dragged into this kicking and screaming (laughs) would be a more accurate way. Um, I had not wanted to really get into this topic at all, just mainly because honestly, I saw the vitriol that would come when you start talking about this particular topic. There are some serious, serious spiritual strongholds around this topic. And so um, my publisher was the one that actually asked me to do this, and I turned them down a few times Mm. (laughs) until we got to March of 2020, (laughs) uh, where all of a sudden, all of life was uncertain. We didn't know, um, basically, if something was going to happen with my husband's job. And so I would love to say that, like, you know, the Lord convicted me and, you know, I realized what an important topic this was. But I, I think he had to drag me into it, kicking and screaming. But and, and for the, the next, you know, however long after that, I said, why did I do this to myself? But at the same time, I, 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 as I kept studying, I was like, I know, I know this is what the Lord has wanted me to do. And I kind of needed to be forced into it. My husband told me later if he'd known that they'd asked me so many times that he would have basically said, you need to say yes to this. (laughs) Um, Mm. So I think it was just honestly some of my own fears of tackling it, of how do I untangle this mess without hurting people? Because that's the main thing, right? That I think that we as Christians are so concerned about how do I untangle this mess and how do I teach God's truth without being accused of just being a bully and a hateful bigot and and hurting people who are clearly already hurting. I think that's the challenge that we really feel. And so I think the Lord just, um, He brought me to the right research and He kind of gave me the right things to where by the time I was done with this book, I was not a I was not afraid anymore. And I was not scared mm. of this topic. I was excited about bringing this uh, to, to parents, really. And uh, so I, I hope that journey it kind of translates into those pages where you feel more empowered to talk about this topic than before you started. Yeah, it does. This is a book that can help you give confidence that we can do it and we can do it right. Um, that we can teach our children the biblical design that God has for them um, about sex and 
in their marriage and what that is and what the world is. And that's what I love in the book. You, you have the biblical principles um, of teaching children, but you're also teaching these parents what the secular world is teaching. And it is so important to know what the lies are out there, what the enemy is doing, kind of their strategy as well to help prepare um, to prepare parents. And for that, I'm, I'm grateful that you have both in that. Alyssa, um, as I talked about your humor in this book, one of the chapters I enjoyed, are you sex smarter than a fifth grader is one of the chapters, uh, understanding the new national sexual education standards. And let me tell you, I failed actually. I'm not uh, sex smarter than a fifth grader, which is pretty scary because I already have a second grader um, who's asking some difficult questions. Um, But in this chapter, um, it was enlightening for me to discover that the national sex education standards expect our kids um, and what they should know by fifth grade. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also write about how these standards are written by a group founded by the former medical director of Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. This is what I thought was interesting. And the group was also funded by Hugh Hefner. Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, we need to know these kind of things. What does the National Sex Education Standards, what do they say our kids should know by fifth grade? Um, And how do we see this in our classrooms? Mm -hmm. I would say one of the big ones that it's like, I have not seen this proven anywhere. It's made it into the scientific literature, but it's just affirming the fact that um, gender identity and the sex born at birth can be different. So that we're already teaching kids that that the gender that you identify with and what your body looks like can be very different. And so they want you to know the difference between a gender, gender fluid, uh, non-binary, transgender, um, all the things that probably people didn't have to think about honestly, until like maybe the last five years. Now, granted, there's some there's cases historically of very, very young children, usually boys, that are claiming, you know, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. You don't see it as much with girls. You do see it with boys. So there's some phenomena that I don't think that uh, can be adequately explained by um, a lot of different things. But that's really not what we're dealing with in this book. We're dealing with uh, kind of what is the children who are being introduced to these ideologies now suddenly starting to identify as transgender. Um, so I just kind of want to make it clear that those two are two different things. To, to, to say, take something that is kind of like a very small percentage, like, you know, half of 1% kind of thing, and then make it across the board um, to teaching fifth graders that this is a, a normal state, you know, that I do not think is wise. Yeah. Um, you listed a few in your book. Um, they got to define and explain the differences between everything you just listed. Mm-hmm. Cisgender, transgender, gender non-binary. And then you get into some that I didn't even know. I had to um, gender expansive. Um, yes, that was the one I, that I think I, I failed too. I was <laughs> like, I still don't totally know what gender expansive is. I know. I Google them and I'll read them and I still don't get it. Um, when um, a parent is there and they're starting to get these questions uh, with their children, how do we go about addressing all these things that they might be learning in school um, mm-hmm. or that were caught off guard because they've read it or saw it on cartoon? Now it's like crazy, yeah. the cartoons that I have out there. Um, how do we go about addressing all these things that come up in conversations with our children about human sexuality, um, whether it's uh, same-sex attraction and gender identity, while also continuing to uphold God's design mm-hmm. and God's truth in their life? Yeah. I think first off is we need to just realize that it's happening younger and younger. They have things like this that are happening on Sesame Street and in the cartoons. I think um, Amy, Amy's kids are pretty young. I mean, Bubble Guppies, Blues Clues, you name it. It's starting to come in into cartoons at a younger age. 
we sometimes have this idea that um, we can address it later. It's always kind of this later that we think that we can address it. And I kind of like to encourage parents to know there's a there's a psychological principle that the person who talks to you about something first is kind of automatically filed away mm-hmm. in your head as the expert. And so I want to encourage parents to be talking about this because you want yourself to be filed away as the expert, not something, uh, not not Google, you know, Dr. Google, who's open 24-7, um, that they go when they have questions about this, not, not their friends, not their teachers. You want mom and dad to be the experts on this. And so one of the first things you can do is you can ask your kids, what are they already hearing? What have they heard about gender? Um I think emphasizing just the importance of absolute truth, because undergirding all of these things are the idea that objective truth does not exist. And that's something I think that we can be um, affirming from basically birth on, of just talking about the difference between objective truth. This is true. It's not because it's our truth. It's because it's the truth. And you can point to things like, this is red, and you know other little facts that you have around them to get them to understand something that's outside of themselves that other people have access to. Y'all mm-hmm. can determine what the properties are of this thing. Now, subjective truths are where all of this is coming in, but subjective truths still do not change the biological and physical reality of the body. Um, I would say maybe for the kids that are starting to get in third, fourth, fifth grade, where they're starting to hear this more, they probably, you know, maybe they're having a kid in their class that is transitioning. You can maybe talk about why is even asking for your gender on a medical form necessary? And it's because there's a lot of different ways that you you would treat a male versus a female medically in terms of, um, of the kind of medicines that you give, the amount of medicines you give, all these different things, all these things that really exist outside of someone's perception still need to be known in order to give someone the best medical treatment. Now, like we talked about briefly before, I'd say with Christians, one of the big things is we have a hurting population. There is there is no doubt about that. The kids that are coming forward as transgender, the adults that are coming forward as transgender or homosexual have usually had a long history of hurt. And as Christians, we have sometimes made the things that we don't understand to be almost like the higher level of sin. Well, I never struggle with that. So the thing I mm. never struggle with. I'm going to make that kind of the higher level of sin. But what we need to look at is that everybody is created in the image of God. There's something that we have coming out in the workbook. Uh, it's the, the discipleship workbook that's going to be coming out in September that I call the image of God game. And it's something that I think we need to start really, really early with our kids that it's kind of going to be this buffer to everything else that we teach them about what God's design is. And that is looking at people who are made in the image of God and pointing out, are they made in the image of God? What about that clown over there, you know, that's dressed up really silly? Is he still made in the image of God? Yes, because it doesn't matter what you put on your body. He's still made in the image of God. What about the man in the wheelchair? Is he made in the image of God? Yes, even though his body is not working in the same way, he is still made in the image of God. Um, What about that dog over there? Nope, the dog's not made in the image of God. Uh, The rock, no. The grass, no. Um, But what about this woman who is pregnant? Is she made in the image of God? Yes. What about the baby that's inside? Is that made in the image of God? Yes. So we just overemphasize the image of God, how we are all image bearers, and image bearers deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. However, every single image bearer can sometimes behave in a way that is not reflecting the image of God. And we can talk about God's plan for sexuality and say, this is the plan that reflects the image of God. Behaving in these other ways, sexually or with gender, that's not reflecting the image of God. We do not, we do, not do that. Our family seeks to, to reflect the image of God. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the questions parents are trying to, trying to figure out right now is like, at what age? <laughs> Do you have a suggestion of what age you start having these conversations? Because I have an eight-year-old who's already asking questions of yeah. things I can't imagine asking at eight. When I was eight, I was thinking about like beanie babies and um, making sure we got the rare one and collected them, you know. <laughs> now they're asking. Yeah, I was obsessed with Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> so now they're asking all kinds of questions. So at what age do you think? And by the way, I should have clarified, you do have a biology degree. Is that correct? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. So, you know, now biology is quite bigotry, but uh, yep. maybe you'll make biology come back. <laughs> the yes, facts like bring, of biology bring make biology a come back. But yeah, what's a good age? Um, I would say that, honestly, this is going to be different for a lot of different kids. I think the ages to just be... Um, there's an article we have on on our uh, website about how to affirm your children in their gender identity and the, you know, aren't you so glad you were born a boy for these reasons? Oh, you're such a boy when you do this. And just kind of helping them see that they identify as those genders. That's something you can do from early on. I would just be paying attention to maybe their programming that they're watching or just asking what their friends are talking about. And it really is going to differ on on basically on a kid-by-kid basis. Pay attention to what kind of community. And the community that I'm in right now is very, very, how would you say? Uh, The kids are very sheltered. (laughs) And so things are not going to be as obvious to them as they would maybe like some of my friends who are out in Oregon. And when their kids, even in preschool, were in, you know, finding friends on the playground, the parents would introduce themselves and use their pronouns and use the kids' pronouns. Those <laughs> kids, you need to be addressing this a lot earlier um, than you would say maybe a small town in Iowa. So depending on where you are, I, I'd love to get a, like a blanket thing. I would just no, say- No, I know. Um, and, and it depends on each kid. My little mm-hmm. girl picks up on every small detail. Yep. Um, I got a boy and he's kind of a typical boy that just- um, doesn't is not into the details that are around him. Yeah. So I think it depends on each child and the questions they start asking. And I love the point mm-hmm. of what you said as you go back to the first person that had the conversation with you. I look back in my life and the um, person that had the most impact on my life when it came to sexuality was my mother. Mm-hmm. And as I shared at the top of the episode, she had a huge impact of always having a conversation with me, talking yeah. about her past, talking about what um, the decisions I would make. And, you know, when it came to sex, no parent wants to talk about the sex, but she always made sure she was talking about it with me in the car. Any chance she had is, um, she'd always say, Sissy, you can't wait till you're in the back of the car with a boy to decide if you're going to be a virgin or not, right? Because you're not going to make the right decision in that moment. (laughs) And that was just one thing. So my mother, I mean, I can still remember the conversations we had. and, um, And I'm so grateful. So as we as parents... And also, I don't think your book is just to moms, but maybe you could correct me. I think dads can it learn really a lot from It really is for everyone. This. It's for it everyone. Really I is, make um, moms for, my demographic, but everyone's Or for welcome. aunts or for high school uh, coaches. My high school coach had a huge mm-hmm. impact on my life and teaching the girls on our team. You know, this book is for a lot of people because we can have um, influence to all those around us, whether it's our nieces or those in Sunday school around us. So I do want to say, I think dads can read this book as well. <laughs> In, in this book, you make an incredible, insightful point that all things are powerful, must be carefully guarded and used. Mm-hmm. Could you share your uh, fire analogy that you did with the mama bears? Yeah. So it's this idea that, um, you know, most of society will agree that sex is, is incredibly powerful. But what they want to say is, well, therefore, you, you don't have a right to tell anybody what they can do. And I'm thinking, 
isn't everything that's like incredibly powerful, carefully guarded? Uh, you think mm-hmm. of just, you know, nuclear codes. You think the bigger the dog, the, the stronger the leash. Um, all these different things that are incredibly powerful have um, not only a protective thing around them to guard them, but anything that's incredibly valuable also has things that guard and protect them. So I, I look at that concept of fire. Is fire good or bad? Well, you know, it's it's not either. It depends on how it's used. So the more powerful fire is, the more it needs it, it needs a place in where in which it can be enjoyed, like the fireplace or you know a campfire that doesn't have any brush that's nearby. That what happens when you don't guard it? Well, I mean, anyone who any, all the kids as you're watching, you know the the um, the TV when you see the the infernos sometimes in California with with all the forest going up in flames, or you see the bombs, you see all these things that happen because someone did not carefully guard a fire. That is how destructive sexuality can be when it's taken outside of the way that God designed for it to be used. But channeled correctly, oh my gosh, it does so many good things. It cooks our food. It warms us in, you know, by the fire. All these different things. It's all these incredibly good uses, but it needs to be guarded. And I would say that um, I've heard this analogy before, but people usually stop there. What I like to say after that is let's look at how we're treating fire. Are we treating fire like firemen or like an arsonist? And so like um, an arsonist just loves fire and thinks, you know, any kind of fire is great. Mm-hmm. And they'll set as many fires as they want. And I would say that's how our society is treating sexuality of like, why wouldn't anyone love all these good things? But they don't care about the destruction that happens from it. It's the fireman who's equally obsessed. People like to say, oh, Christians, you're so obsessed with sex. No, I would say we're equally obsessed with sex as basically the culture, but in a different way. We're looking for um, sexuality to be guarded and we're looking for it to be used properly and we celebrate it within a marriage. Um, in fact, I really feel strongly that we need to be telling our kids just until they just don't want to hear it anymore and then tell them some more that sex is a married couple repeating their marital vows in bodily form. I feel like if I had been classified as that when I was a kid, the concept of sex outside of marriage doesn't even make sense when we look at the purpose of it. This is referring back to a promise that I made before family and before friends. So Mm -hmm. sex outside of marriage, it's like, it doesn't make sense. You can keep bringing them back to that purpose of sex. But anyway, back, you know, the firemen, uh, the firemen and the, um, and the uh, arsonist, I would say, is kind of how our society is dealing with sexuality at this point, though. Oh, Hillary, I love hearing you because I, you speak truth, but you do it with grace. Mm-hmm. And you're go- tackling these crazy subjects that 15, 10 years ago, we couldn't even imagine having, especially having them with our children, yeah. of what we're seeing happening in the world and our culture and the confusion around it. But you do it in a way that's approachable, in a way that's possible, in a way that does give moms hope, that we don't have to look at this daunting task and think it's impossible to happen, that we know that God has a design and you teach it in a way that we're able to pass it on to our children. And I'm so grateful. And with that in closing, what what would you say to parents, especially to moms, the hope as they enter this the subject or the stage of life with their children, maybe mm-hmm. they're past this stage and they feel like they failed it a little bit. What did, what would you say to them? What's the hope? There's a certain age of kids where they're still kind of in the mix of this. 
and kids that are younger that are looking up there and saying, that's crazy, and I'm I'm not going to do that, that I do think the Lord is preparing warriors uh, to stand up for His design and who are going to stand firm in His design. And there was a, a quote that I saw a while back on Facebook. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's along the lines of never be— um, sad that you're raising a dragon slayer in the time where there's actual dragons, that we do mm. have um, actual dragons out there that are trying to compromise the Christian faith. Because I really believe that there's something spiritually that happens when someone starts abusing uh, sexuality that happens on a spiritual level. Um, I would say for the moms who feel like they have already missed it, I would say just be in, in relationship with your child in helping them to see, honestly, what some of the secular sources are already starting to see. HuffPost um, had an article, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, about how consent and pleasure are not the litmus tests for uh, a satisfying sexual experience. If Huffington Post is finding <laughs> this with people that they are interviewing, then this is the conclusion that's being coming. I think... Um, yeah, we're having so much brokenness come from this that we can start pointing back to, hey, this is, you know, maybe this is why God said to have sex between a husband and a wife for life. Like, how many of these problems do you think would go away? And kind of help them see, and also um, help, help them see how God's design in a lot of ways does protect and is meant for our good and is meant for our flourishing. Um, but also being there for those hurting hearts, knowing that there is a, a spiritual and emotional brokenness that is that is occurring when some when, um, has bought into these lies. Now, for the moms uh, of kids that are younger, I think this concept of sex being um, pointing back to a, uh, a, a promise that was already made, we can make this with, without even talking about sex for young kids by saying, I'm going to make a promise to you and we're going to have this secret handshake. And every time we do this handshake, that means that we are pointing back to this promise we made. You're establishing that category in their head of pointing back to a promise through doing something physically. And as they get older, then you can start explaining that's what sex is. Um, and they'll start seeing it as something that as, is meant to cement a promise. It's not just for consent. It's not just for pleasure, which sex positivity, we talk about that in chapter nine, I think, um, or chapter eight. That's all that they say is required for a sexual ethic. And it just doesn't work. If they think this is working, I mean, just look at what is going on in the world around us. And I think just kind of having some common sense and graciously pointing that out can be one of the most powerful things that really you can do. Well, Hillary, thank you. Once again, I say both books, although we talked about <laughs> Guide to Sexuality, you definitely need this one of how to teach our children to combat these lies that they face in their culture every single day. Hillary, it was so nice to meet you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Fearless. Thank you so much for having me. As I was preparing for this episode and reading Hillary's book, I just kept thinking of the enemy and how powerful he is. And I think of the generations before us and maybe our parents who struggled to get some of these conversations right. And when the conversation was so simple. And now it's kind of question like, oh my goodness, how are we as parents, how are we as a church going to get this right when the conversation now is so complicated? And thinking of Lamentations, it says, see, O Lord, my affliction. For the enemy has magnified himself. It's like our affliction as parents, the things that we have to face now as parents on behalf of our children, and how the enemy has magnified himself throughout our culture. And it says, The adversary has stretched out his hand over all her precious things. And here's what I know, is that the enemy has used God's beautiful gift of sexuality to confuse this generation. Um, 
And our children, they're precious. They're the precious things. And the enemy will do anything he can to destroy them. And we as parents have to be on guard and we have to be prepared. And that's why I'm so thankful for people like Hillary, who have sounded the alarm, who give us wonderful tools um, like this book that we can approach this conversation with our children and do it with a hope, do it um, based on scripture and on a biblical design that God designed for sexuality and do it in a way that we can combat the cultural lies. Somebody I work with reminded me of this comic strip and it showed a teenager being placed in the back of a patrol car, a police patrol car, and his parents were watching it as it was driving by. And the mom says to the dad, I wonder where his youth pastor went wrong. And that is so true because often we as parents, we depend on the church to teach them on tough topics. We, um, My kids do go to a, a private Christian school, so sometimes we think that the school will teach them what we need to know. And we can be hesitant to have um, that conversation that we need to have with our children. But at the end of the day, we as parents— because like I said, this book isn't just for moms. This is for parents, for grandparents. We are the warriors, the parents, the mentors, the aunts, the big sisters um, who can make a difference and invest in those conversations with those children or with those kids around us and lead them in a loving way to God's truth. And Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness— we can, through God's grace, put aside all our nervousness, all the hesitancy we have to have these conversations and all those awkward conversations about sexuality that will come with our teenagers. Um, and we can be fearless in talking about it because we stand in God's truth. And I'm so thankful for this book because once again, it's going to be a great tool to you as a parent um, to help your children through these tough questions they have in this world of confusion. I want to encourage you to check out my website to get updated and to get caught up on any other episodes that you might have missed. And I encourage you to always follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. I wasn't given the spirit.